Chapter Fourteen of Eighteen Months in the War Zone by Kate John Finzi. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Marianne. Chapter Fourteen, November nineteen fifteen. November second, All Souls Day. The Bishop of Arras held a service in the cemetery, a memorial service for those mort pour la patrie. The rain streamed down from the steel-gray sky in Bologna's torrents as the mass surged hither and thither amongst the crowded graves. Those graves into which but a year ago we watched the dead being heaped three deep, into which we cast our meagre offerings of violets with a wish that those relatives at home might know that at least two English souls were there to pray for them lovingly at the end, are now old graves, and planted with neat little boxwood crosses. Oh! city of little white crosses on that high hill what a history of pain and valor you stand for the bishop came late some feared the weather might deter him others scoffed at the idea a bishop who has faced the fighting with his people in the field who has watched his whole diocese gradually destroyed will not fear the rain they said addressing a few words of thanks to the crowd for being present the bishop hastily robed the choir chanted. A new young widow beside me began to sob. Scarce an eye in that vast concourse of black and uniforms was dry. Roquescu en pas. It seemed to me that no past souls could be so needful of that prayer as the restless, tortured souls of the living, mourning crowd. An irresistible something drew me once more towards the now deserted hospital on the quay. It had had to be abandoned, for reasons of hygiene, for even after the rise of its now celebrated dental, ocular, and oral departments, even when the lavatories and baths and X-ray apparatus had been satisfactorily installed, its situation, low down by the sluggish water, its lack of proper ventilation, made it untenable, and within the space of a few days it was transferred to healthier quarters facing the sea and refreshed by sun and breezes, where there was no fear of the low fever that continually attacked the staff in that original carnal house. Once more it is an evil-smelling empty barn. I clapped my hands to my eyes to see if I was awake. Could this ever have been the place we knew, the harbour of so much pain? Oh, could those whitewashed walls and dirty floors speak? No tales of massacre could be more lurid than the remembrance of the original British expeditionary force who passed through and will not come again. In spite of the dead stillness that reigned, I could feel the throbbing of the many souls who passed away. Vividly, as if no intervening year had elapsed, their faces rose up to greet me with cries for water and release from pain, whilst eager blue-ticketed crowds pressed forward as the arrival of a hospital ship was announced. A rat ran across the concrete, emphasizing the desolation of the scene. Out of the gloom of a certain corner the spirit of a nameless prisoner greeted me. With a last tetanus spasm, a writhe, a death-rattle, the jaw relaxed like a gaping fish, and a strange little sigh seemed to betoken a released spirit. The mortuary door was blacked over. Why not removed? For what purpose could such a place ever be used again? The theatres stood still, deprived of their hardly accumulated equipment. A sigh of wind came through a broken pane. Was it imagination? 
or did it bear with it faintly from afar the old oft-heard cry christ help us bah it was but an evil nightmare they are all gone i alone am left to tell the tale and generations to come will never know outside things are not much changed the cobblestones responsible for the premature demise of such innumerable pairs of stout boots and shoes are as uneven as ever the best part of the road however has now been railed off for the use of ambulances only in order that the wounded may be subjected to as little jolting as possible i recall how after our first few days at the gar maritime hospital one of the nurses discovered an easier method of getting from our billets to our work and how the half-hour's walk to the hospital was soon superseded by a ten minutes row in one of the many ferry-boats from one side of the harbour to the other sometimes of course it had been too rough once indeed there was nearly a calamity when an old boatman rather more anxious for the welfare of his pocket than for the safety of his passengers ventured out in a storm so violent that the little boat was in danger of being swamped by the waves and necessitated the putting out of the lifeboat or whatever is the bellonese equivalent even then the strong current proved almost too much for this frail craft which was gradually drifting seawards for several days afterwards most of us risked extra weary feet rather than face the elements at sea sometimes of course we obtained a lift in an ambulance or private car for even to-day the laws of meum and tuum are less rigorous here than at home it is no unusual occurrence for a driver going along a desolate road with no passengers to offer a lift to any solitary pedestrian he may find on the road he will not needless to say go out of his way if duty forbids but just drop his passenger at the nearest point to the destination for which he is bound nor in a place where there are hardly any public vehicles to be had is one shy of asking for a lift a proceeding which one can hardly picture at home november eighteenth out of evil comes good and if ill-health has temporarily paralyzed my activities it has at least given me time and opportunity to see something of the environment of the place that has been our home for so long there is one hospital base fringing the sea and situated in the pine forests which once formed one of the smartest little golfing centres of the coast whither fate took me there can be no harm in describing it for already we are told a most exact and minute description has appeared in the german medical papers almost a year ago we had visited it seen the magnificent wards of the blank hospital that has now been converted for the use of officers and visited a large french hospital it had been run almost entirely by untrained voluntary englishwomen with a modicum of experience who apparently diagnosed their own cases and treated them accordingly well i recall the hall of dusky zouave gobbling up their midday meal or disposing of what victuals they did not require onto the sanded floor just as a vision of english beauty clad in the daintiest of nursing creations tripped out of a side ward her eyes aglow with excitement i know he's got enteric she exclaimed cheerfully to our cicerone pointing to her patient and glancing at the red cross book in her hand i know he's got enteric and i shall treat him for it exactly how many patients that charming girl managed to dispose of i haven't discovered but as the court circular announced her marriage shortly afterwards we may assume that the zouaves proved enough what the hospital lacked in operating theatres in those days it made up for in dressing-rooms where doctors and nurses worked side by side and when aseptic conditions always 
antiseptic measures generally, were things unknown. And now, along the roadside lie huts with accommodation for over twenty thousand patients, with all the requisite medical staff, and within quite a small area no fewer than four of our canteens have replaced the small tent of other days, whilst individual enterprises run by freelances, commonly known by their nicknames of Lady Angelina Flapcabbage and Mrs. Always Huntum, still flourish. November 19th. Of the observation airships that have passed daily over our field on their way to prospect in the channel, I have said but little, yet they are a very interesting item of our daily program, as they search for mines and torpedoes on a still day, wirelessing their messages back to the aerodrome some miles away. It was my good fortune to visit the hangars today. As the car sped along in the waning light, and drew up before the wooden huts which formed the officers' and men's quarters, the great hangar, painted in various hues for all the world like a giant toy tunnel, formed an impressive sight. The officers of the RNAS have a way of making their bunks as ship-like as possible, and the neatness of the place, the well-arranged vases of flowers, the well-made curtains, bore out the nautical reputation for almost feminine nattiness. Without, one was challenged on all sides by vigilant sentries, who guarded entrance and egress to the place, to say nothing of the upturned anti-aircraft guns, whilst grey naval cars panted in and out on their business. The sea of mud and general dampness contributed to the illusion that one was aboard, as two men came up to ask for leave to go ashore. Perhaps the C.O. caught the look of inquiry in my eye. Ashore, he explained, is the town of B., the little outlying villages, boasting scarce more than three shops amongst them, made the nearest town a matter of some importance. Within the hangar lay all the trappings and trunks of those huge inflated monsters, whose levers regulate such wonderfully diverse bombs of destruction, and whose observer's seat might be a smoking-room armchair for comfort. From a corner, where lay the debris of derelict machines, we were allowed to purloin a small piece of the yellow fabric as a memento of our visit whilst over the tea-table, for the quality of which there were many quite unneedful apologies, we came across the air-jargon, of which hitherto only dope and cold feet had figured in our vocabulary. End of chapter 14